Christian greetings to all of you dear people this morning. I greet you in the loving name of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's what it's all about. <laughs> he's the one who makes it possible for us to be here. He's the one who helps us uh, through our journey of life. The one who gives us the strength to keep keeping on. Uh, the one who has helped us through the past year with all its uniqueness and difficulties along the way, and the one who promises to never leave us or forsake us as we move into the future. So praise God for that. <laughs> what have we to fear? Praise God. I invite you to, uh, to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Now, a few months ago, I had preached uh, from the invitation of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And I had said at that point that I would like to share, Lord willing, from verses 29 and 30. And so I plan, with the help of God, to do that this morning. <clears throat> Let's read verses 28 through 30 of Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we're focusing this morning on verses 29 and 30, where Jesus specifically says, we must do something. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, Jesus says. We would like to think this morning specifically about this thing of yoking with Jesus. And that's the title I'm using for this morning. Yoking with Jesus. What is Jesus talking about here? What is involved in this? Well, let's first of all think a little bit about yokes. So Jesus was talking about yokes. Maybe you have uh, seen a yoke before. This is one that uh, I've seen from little up. In fact, this yoke was made my, by my, let's see, my great uncle, Caleb Zimmerman. It was made for my parents' wedding gift by my mother's uncle, Caleb Zimmerman, from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, I understand he was sort of a, a jack of all trades and was able to do a lot of things. He wasn't necessarily a carpenter by trade, uh, but, but he did a lot of, a lot of uh, little projects and was good at many things. And so he made this for my parents for their wedding gift. Now, a part of this, so, so this, this, it still hangs on, on the wall in my parents' house. I think it hangs uh, normally right above mom's kitchen sink. But, but hanging from here is a little flower basket. Maybe has, a, I don't know what kind of a flower, some kind of a green, uh, nice-looking flower that has always hung there from, from this hook, from this, uh, yeah, this ball here in the center. 
But of course, it has our verse on from Matthew eleven thirty. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So let's think for a moment here about yokes. A yoke was a piece of equipment that joined two work animals, draft animals. Maybe it was a pair of oxen. Maybe it was uh, donkeys. Something, maybe it was mules, something like that. But you understand that, that this part here could be taken off. Their necks would be in this part right here. And it joined two work animals. So they could work together as a team, okay? So whether it was maybe pulling a cart, maybe it was pulling a plow, maybe it was some other load that they had, perhaps it was a, a responsibility or a job that was much too big for one ox, one mule, one donkey, and so in this way, they could join two, they could work together, and thus do far more work together. Let's see here. I thought I might try to uh, hang this in a way here that it could be displayed while we move on. Let's see if this works. I'd hate to break <laughs> my uh, mother's dear wedding gift. No, that's not where I wanted to go. Let's go here. Have any of you older ones ever seen a yoke in operation or maybe even used one years ago? Yeah, Marcus, a few of you others, maybe. Uh-huh, okay. Well, that's kind of low there, but uh, there you go. I think that'll work. <laughs> that'll kind of keep it in front of you as we go through this message, as we think about the importance of yoking with Jesus. You know, Jesus was a carpenter. Think about it. His father was a carpenter. Jesus grew up in a, in a carpenter shop. Uh, Jesus didn't begin his public ministry until he was around 30 years old. So Jesus, no doubt, spent a lot of time working with wood. Carpenters in those days would have uh, made roofs. They would have made doors. They would have made window shutters. Uh, they would have made different frames for farming equipment, whether it was a plow or uh, yokes for oxen and other things as well, obviously. A lot, of, a lot of wooden things, tools and so forth. <laughs> it, it came to me that I'm guessing... One uh, little trinket that Jesus never made in his wood shop was a, a cross. <laughs> you know, these days we, uh, we see crosses around, but um, probably not, probably not. 
Obviously, in those days, uh, crosses took on a very horrific uh, feeling. Obviously, they do today, but for us as Christians, uh, there's power in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so there's something precious to us these days, those of us who have surrendered to the work of the cross. But, you know, it makes me wonder when Jesus was working in the shop, even as a little boy, you know, uh, working with wood and, and wood crossing over each other, if it ever dawned on him or, or what he thought about as it resembled that of a cross, wondering what that must be like or how that will feel. Obviously, being human and yet being God, knowing all things, it's hard for us to fathom that. But anyway, moving along, Jesus, Jesus knew much about yokes as well as other aspects of farm life. Well, what did the people know about yokes? And certainly they understood their purpose when it came to uh, farming or when it came to hauling loads. The people understood this thing of yokes. But I understand that the expression of a yoke was commonly used in the Old Testament to describe Israel's subjection to foreign oppression. They had a yoke on them, oppression from uh, a foreign nation. Well, in fact, in Jesus' day, uh, the Roman government was heavy upon them. You could say that was a yoke that they were under. But by the time Jesus came along, the, the term yoke also had a religious meaning. It referred to subjection to the law. They were yoked, as it were, to the law. The Hebrew word <clears throat> is ol, simply ol, ol. That's one that even you can say probably. <laughs> and it literally means burden, which I find that interesting because sometimes when we're, we pick up something heavy, we're like, oh. <laughs> but it literally means burden. And, it, and the gist of it was the burden of daily living in subjection to the whole law. It was a yoke. So you think about the, the church scene, as it were, in that day. And the religious leaders were, were demanding full observance of the law. And that was absolutely important to being right with God, fully observing the law in all aspects, every little, every little part of it. It was emphasized to the extreme. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, and his loving invitation stands here in sharp contrast to the people's understanding of military oppression or religious burden. It stands in sharp contrast to that, I say. You see, the people understood a yoke to be painful, to be frustrating, to be irritating, to be exhausting. <sighs> whether it was military or whether it was religious, it was exhausting, it was harsh. But Jesus warmly invited the people to a relationship with him that promised rest, that promised peace, that promised life. And he says, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. You see, there was certainly other yokes that they were very familiar with. But Jesus said, take my yoke. Take my yoke and learn of me. Now, I would like for us to note the context uh, of this passage, specifically the context of verses 28 through 30, because here in the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, we have this story of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist here is in prison, and he's discouraged, and he's, well, he's doubting. He's depressed. Now, this is the man who Jesus said there is none greater than John the Baptist other than the least in the kingdom of heaven, right? There's none greater. And and certainly he was the one who came to pave the way for Jesus Christ. But here we have John the Baptist in prison. And he's discouraged. He's depressed. And he's doubting. Does that give you any comfort it does a little bit to me. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm just saying that even, even those that God is using, using mightily and, and are great in the kingdom of heaven, those who, who have a very deep relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and even have a sense of why they're here in a way that maybe some of us don't, they struggle at times too with, Lord, what is my purpose in all of this? What do you want of me? I thought you had this work for me, and here I am. How can I be useful in this way? And so on and so forth. But John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to Jesus. And 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 this is the question that John the Baptist once answered. Jesus, are you the one that was to come? Or should we start looking for someone else? Wow. That's a rather revealing question. Are you the one that was supposed to come, or should we expect someone else? And notice the response of Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell those disciples, you go back and tell John the Baptist, yep, I'm the one. I am the one. No need to worry. That's not what Jesus says. But instead, instead he says, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. In other words, go and tell John the results. Go and tell John that lives are being changed. Look at the results. They speak for themselves. People are experiencing new life. In fact, in verse 5, he says, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended or tripped up because of me. Jesus says the results speak for themselves. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Lives are being changed. And I say this sets the stage then for verses 28 through 30. Because then Jesus goes on to say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come unto me, Jesus says, and experience a warm, rich, life-giving relationship with the Father. And so, the call of Jesus is to come away from ourselves. Come away from the dead, empty, frustrating religion, as it were. And experience that rich and satisfying relationship with the Father. Come away from ourselves and surrender to the Savior. In fact, to take the yoke of Jesus upon us is to yield ourselves to the Lord and live in obedience to his word. That's really what it is in a, in a nutshell. The Bible, uh, the believers, Bible commentary puts it this way. To take the yoke of Jesus upon us is to enter into submission to his will and to turn over control of one's life to him. It's about surrender. And so I would like to break down uh, these verses in this way this morning. We'd like to note the freedom of the yoke. We'd like to look at the power of the yoke. And we'd like to look at the beauty of the yoke. The freedom, the power, and the beauty of the yoke. You know, every person, no matter how free they might think they are, is yoked. Every person is yoked. No one is outside or above influence or control. Think about that. Someone or something is directing you. Someone or something is controlling you. Someone or something is calling the shots in your life. Everyone, no matter how free they may think they are, is yoked. I ask you this morning, whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? And I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I would like to note verses 16 through 23. As we consider the freedom of the yoke of Jesus Christ. You know, that doesn't make sense. Outside of a spiritual understanding, does it? Because what freedom do you have in a yoke? Those who don't know Christ, those who don't understand spiritual things, they scoff at that. Just like they scoff at the cross. And yet for us as believers, there's power in the cross of Jesus Christ. There's power in surrender. There's freedom in bondage. There's freedom in being a slave to Jesus Christ. And let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about this in Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 16. And I want us to contrast this thing of being a slave to self and sin and being a slave to Jesus Christ. Note this contrast. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves 
servants. Now, every time it says servant here, I'm going to say slave. I know in other translations, it's, it uses the word slave. And that's really the gist of what is, is what is being said here. In other words, a servant is one who is obligated to another. A servant is one who is taking orders from another. Someone else is in control of them. They're just simply saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we're talking about slaves. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves slaves to obey, his slaves ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the slaves of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the slaves of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members slave to uncleanness, or he's saying, you used to do this. You used to yield yourself as a slave to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members slaves to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the slaves of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become slaves to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, that's a beautiful passage. Freedom in Jesus Christ. Now notice once again, there's a contrast here. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. You are a slave. Everyone is yoked to someone or something. Someone or something is controlling your life, calling the shots. You can be a slave to self, sin, and Satan. What does that produce? Well, the scripture says it produces impurity. It produces ever-increasing wickedness. Well, what does that produce? Shame. Guilt. And the Apostle Paul says, what benefit is a lifestyle like that? What good does that do to you? And the resounding answer is nothing. It does no good for you. In fact, he goes on to say, the end is what? Death. The end is death. But that's not all. There's another option. And that is being a slave to God. Being a slave to righteousness. Right living through the power of God. What does that produce? Well, he says it produces the fruit of holiness in your life. It produces peace with God. In fact, he goes on to say in, in chapter 8, of course, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what does that produce? It produces eternal life. It leads to eternal life. And certainly eternal life isn't something that we just look forward to in the future, but as, as blood-washed believers, we experience eternal life in the here and now. It's something that we receive through Jesus Christ when we surrender our lives to him, and we are living 
with eternal life flowing out of us as we go through life. And we look forward to that ongoing and new and vibrant expression of that one day when we see him face to face and live in his presence in that way. But I want us to note what separates these two. What separates these two? We have a slave to sin, to self, to Satan. We have a slave to God and righteousness. And I see as the difference we have verse 17. Thanks be to God, though you used to be a slave to sin, but now you are a slave to God and righteousness. Why? Through wholehearted obedience to the truth. Wholehearted obedience to the truth is what makes all the difference. And, and I simply say to you, dear people, take the word of God, believe it. Take the word of God, live it out. Practice it. Make it the guide for your life. You see, in our human thinking, we look at these concepts of, of being yoked. And we say... It just goes against our flesh, you know. It, it rubs us the wrong way. We think that we're going to lose something. Dear people, you will see clearly as we look at Scripture today and also as you allow the Holy Spirit to work within you and as you experience that, as you trust God and step out in faith that, that God is the most gentle and loving master there could ever be. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to lose. In fact, you will gain everything by surrendering and sharing the yoke of Jesus Christ. Let me just say that you are never so free as when you are abiding in Jesus Christ. You are never so free as when you're abiding in Jesus Christ. However, if you're human, you know that there's a lie out there. And that lie says that, the, that you are, are more free when you are not restrained. That's the lie. You are more free. You are more happy when you are not restrained. When you can do what you want to do. When you are living life for yourself. That is a lie of the devil. Don't ever believe that. I say, why then do those who are living for themselves go to such extreme measures to try to stay happy? Why do those who live for themselves and the, and, and the devil, why do they end up killing themselves? Why do they drink themselves to death? Why are they... Their lives are not a picture of freedom. Their lives are not a picture of peace and contentment. There's not satisfaction there. It's a life of bondage. It's a miserable life that once again, as scripture says, it ends in death. Oh, always spiritual death. But even many times, physical death. There's either a poem or a story, <clears throat> I'm not sure which, uh, that I, I sort of remember from when I was younger. And, and I, don't, I don't know it well enough to, uh, to find it. 
But I'm pretty sure it's either a poem or a story that we either read or we memorized or something back years ago in school. But it was about a kite. It was about a kite who resented its string. And this kite had the false impression that if it could be free from the string, if it could be free from that, that tug and that, um, you could say, bondage of the string, it could truly fly wherever it wanted to go. It could be so free. It would be so happy. It could fly like no other kite flew. And so in this little poem or story, the kite, believing this to be true, severed itself from the string. Well, if you were ever flying a kite and the string broke, you know what happens. That kite does not fly and soar to wonderful, beautiful heights. There's not majestic flying in a stringless kite. Instead, that kite looks like it's in despair, and that kite falls, falls to the ground. You see, it is the tension. It is actually, you could say, the bondage of that string. It is the constant tug of that string that keeps that kite centered, that keeps that kite flying like kites are meant to fly. The kite will fly most beautifully and most gracefully when it stays attached to the string as it was intended. It's a good challenge for me. Jesus makes it very clear that to take his yoke upon us is to experience true freedom, is to experience true life. You are never so free as when you're abiding in Christ. Let's think about then the power of the yoke. The power of the yoke. Now, I have a fascination, somewhat at least, with, with strong draft horses. Once again, years ago when I was younger, <clears throat> Dad took us down to Denton, North Carolina, to the old Thresher's reunion, and we watched, among other things, we watched the draft horse pulls. That is fascinating. <laughs> if you want to see power on display, there is some power there. But those big Clydesdale workhorses can do amazing things. And I, I read... And this is amazing, but this is what I read, and I trust these numbers are true. I read that one, one uh, Clydesdale draft horse can pull up to 8,000 pounds. 8,000 pounds. Tremendous amount of weight. So you would think then that two horses together could pull 16,000 pounds, right? Because two horses twice the weight. No, it doesn't work that way. In fact, two Clydesdale horses pulling together can pull 24,000 pounds. 
But that's not all. From what I understand, that if those horses have learned to work together, if they have trained together, if those horses have, have had time to get to know each other, those two horses can pull 32,000 pounds, the two of them, when they're working well together, when they've learned each other. That's amazing. That's power. You know, you see the math in that. It's, it's, <laughs> it, there's like an algebra equation, perhaps, <laughs> in that. It doesn't just double, but, but the power magnifies exceedingly as you add horses. You know, yoking with Jesus promises immeasurable power to the believer. And I want you to turn to Ephesians We're going to note a few verses in chapters 1 and 3 of Ephesians. What does God want us to know and experience in our Christian lives? I ask again, what does God want us to know and experience in our Christian lives? And that is power. Power. And the Apostle Paul brings this out time and time again, but especially we see it here in the book of Ephesians. Notice here, in chapter 1 and chapter 3, the Apostle Paul prays for the people. He prays for the church at Ephesus that they would know something. And a part of that knowing is that they would know the power of God at work in their lives. They would experience it. But look at verse 18 of chapter 1. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, According to his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. (laughs) God wants each one of us as believers to know and experience the mighty working, the mighty power of God. And he says, It's that same power that raised Christ from the dead. He said, as a believer, you can experience that power in your life. In overcoming death, as it were. In living in victory. You can experience, in a similar way, that very power. We call it resurrection power. Power to help us Live above the world, those Satan's darts at us are hurled. That's right. He says, I want you to know the exceeding greatness of this power. And then he refers to it as mighty power. Once again, it's an experiential knowledge. We know this. We experience it through surrender to Jesus Christ. Through surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, chapter 3. Once again, another prayer for the church there at Ephesus. In the latter part of this chapter, starting at verse 14, we read, 
For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, or with power, we could say, by his Spirit in the inner man. Okay? In the inner man. Strengthened with power by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. Do you see the power that is flowing through those verses? That is what God wants you to know and experience in your life. He wants that resurrection power to be be alive and well within you through the working of the Holy Spirit in your inner man. That's where the battle really is, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. No, but against principalities, against powers. It's a spiritual battle. Battling in the inner man, in our thoughts. Power to be an overcomer. Do you want to know and experience uh, this mighty power in your life? Then let me just say, stop trying to pull through life all by yourself. Stop trying to pull through life all by yourself. You know, too many Christians live a a flat, unemotional, you could even say powerless existence because they are not fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, they accepted him as their savior one time, but they are not fully surrendered There's more ground to give. There's areas in their life where there's things that are coming between them and God and it's not being dealt with. It's tripping them up. Therefore, the Holy Spirit doesn't have the freedom to fully do His work within them. There's resistance there. You know, The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And I say amen to that. We can. But when you read that, when you hear that, do you sometimes wonder, why doesn't it seem like that for me? I mean, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. But maybe maybe you don't experience that. Or maybe you're struggling to consistently experience being able to do all things, being able to to live in victory in your personal life, in your thought life, in whatever it may be. Maybe it's because you still have more to give up. You see, in the Christian life, the more you give, the more you get. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? The two are, it's directly proportional. You give more, you get more. You give less, uh, you get less. 
the more you give to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you surrender to him, the greater filling of the Holy Spirit you will experience in your daily walk with him. It's about experiencing the mighty power of God working in us. Oswald Chambers said it this way, The only way to know the strength of God is to take the yoke of Jesus upon us and learn from him. That's how we know and experience the strength of God. And so I ask you, are you willing to do the uncomfortable in order to gain the unimaginable? You see, when we give Jesus Christ the keys to our life, bowing in full surrender to him, Jesus promises to do exceeding abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. That's the promise. And so once again, I ask you, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to believe it? Are you going to live it out? Or do you doubt? Do you doubt that's truly possible? You see, you you are yoked to someone, to something. Someone or something is calling the shots in your life. Who would you rather be yoked to than the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who bears all our burdens, the ones who is, as the scripture says, is meek and lowly in heart? Let us note the beauty of the yoke yet. The beauty of the yoke. Jesus said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me just break it down in three ways. The first is that the yoke of Jesus is beautiful because it teaches us the truth about who he is. It teaches us the truth about who he is. Typically, the best way to get to know someone is to work closely with them. Now, you might think you know them. You might think you know how they're going to respond. But until you work closely with them, until you rub shoulders with them on a regular basis, until you see how they respond in the circumstances that life throws at you and them, you don't truly know them. And in fact, the more time we spend with a certain person and the closer we work with them, the closer we live with them, the more we get to know them. I thought I knew Kim when we got married. I didn't truly know Kim. I knew about Kim. In fact, I'm still learning about Kim, and she could say the same about me. But it's working together, living together, rubbing shoulders that we get to know someone Deeper and deeper. You know, Jesus knows each one of us. And, and, and I ask you, does it sometimes scare you uh, to, na- to take that next step of commitment to Jesus Christ? Does it sometimes scare you? Are you fearful of fully consecrating yourself to him? 
Does that, does that scare you sometimes? Like you're afraid that God might ask something of you that's going to be painful or that you don't want to experience or maybe he'll take your child or your spouse. or You know what I'm saying? I'll just be transparent. I'm there sometimes. And Jesus knows that. And in essence, he's saying, you don't have to fear me. I am meek. I am lowly in heart. I have your best interest in mind. I see the big picture. Stop holding out on me. Perhaps he's saying, I know you're a little gun shy. I know that you've been hurt before. You're hesitant to trust me. But just take me at my word. After you've learned to know me, after you've committed your life to me, once you'll experience me, once you work together with me, you will never want to work for another. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And so I say the yoke of Jesus is beautiful because by taking it upon us, we come to experience who Jesus Christ really is. We come to experience that warm, satisfying relationship with him. I also say that the yoke of Jesus is beautiful because it promises rest to our souls. Now, it's one thing to experience rest in our bodies. It's one thing to experience ease of mind. But there is nothing, nothing that compares to the deep and refreshing and satisfying peace that we feel inside when we are right with Jesus Christ. When we are living with nothing between us and the Savior. When we are living with a clean slate, with a clear conscience, it's indescribable. It is beautiful. There's no rest that compares to that rest. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. <laughs> you see what that says? That peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And within that context, I believe that the believer is eternally secure. Absolutely. We talk about eternal security sometimes. And we say, oh, we don't believe in that. Well, there's a part we don't believe in, okay? There's a part that's not consistent with Scripture. But that part is, as we give ourselves fully to Jesus Christ, as we daily surrender ourselves to Him, as we go about life seeking to live life in accordance to His will, His word, keeping a clean slate, a clear conscience, we are secure in Jesus Christ eternally. In fact, the Scripture says nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. The scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The scripture says that we are kept by the power of God. And I believe that with all my heart. But it's as we daily yield ourselves to his control, allowing him to have his way within us, there is eternal security in such a one. Jeremiah 6.16 Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. 
I emphasize, see it, experience it, go in the good way, and walk therein. Walk therein. That's, that's a daily decision. I'm choosing to walk in accordance with God's word. It's living according to the spirit. Like the old Negro spiritual says, every time I feel the spirit moving in my heart, what? I'll go the other way? No, no, I'll pray. I'll pray. In other words, I'll respond in a favorable way. I'll say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's right. As we think of the rest to our souls that we experience through yoking ourselves to Jesus, the words of this song came to my mind, written by Joy Webb. When I'm tired and nothing's going right for me, when things I've counted on just do not come my way, when in my mind the thick gray folds of doubt arise, it's then I seem to hear him say, Share my yoke and find that I am joined with you. Your slightest movement I shall feel and be there too. Share my yoke and come the way that I must go. In our togetherness, my peace you'll know. The world beholding us will see it so. When I'm perplexed and no one's understanding me, when even safest thoughts collapse in disarray, when I've lost the things that always seemed so sure, it's then I need to hear him say. And then the third verse, when I'm alone and nothing's getting through to me, an isolation that increases day by day, when closest friends can seem a thousand miles away, it's then I long to hear him say, share my yoke. And find that I am joined with you. Your slightest movement I shall feel and be there too. Share my yoke and come the way that I must go. In our togetherness, my peace you'll know. The world beholding us will see it so. Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, the, the yoke of Jesus is also beautiful because it's easy to use and it's light to bear. It's easy to use and it's light to bear. Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, that word easy speaks of being good, being gentle, being profitable. In other words, there's nothing harsh. There's nothing aggravating. There's nothing frustrating. There's nothing bothersome about the yoke of Jesus. It's profitable, it's good, it's gentle. And then to be light is simply to be light and weight, easy to carry. And once again, Jesus here was contrasting his yoke with the other yokes that the people were toiling under, the demands of the law. Uh, the yoke of the religious leaders of the day, the stifling yoke of the Roman uh, government oppression. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. Come away from those yokes. Take my yoke upon you. He's saying, my yoke is different. 
You see, the message of the gospel is not about adding weight. It's not about adding suffering or difficulty or frustration to your life. That's not what the the gospel is about. Instead, the thrust of the gospel is exactly opposite. It's about good news. It's about adding life and peace and joy and hope and rest and healing and the list could go on. It's about adding that to your experience. <laughs> you might say, but, but how is this? How is this? Jesus says that, that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And you could say, well, <clears throat> you know, the Apostle Peter says that, that all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I'm, I'm suffering that. I feel that. Or you could say, you know, we, we sing that song. We sing that song. Uh, what is it? Oh, it's not an easy road. We are traveling to heaven because many are the thorns on the way. And that's how it is. That's how I feel. <laughs> and, and I say, I agree. It's not, it's, it's not easy to be a Christian. Sure, it doesn't come natural for us. And we have to work for it. We have to work at it. It goes against our nature. It, it runs contrary, you could say, to how we're programmed. Yeah. Putting self to death and surrendering to Jesus Christ is not simple. It's not a piece of cake. But let me just put it this way, that surrender to Jesus Christ, no matter the suffering that may result, is a light burden to bear in comparison to the heavy penalties of living a life of sin. It's a light load to bear. When you look at it honestly, being a Christian is far easier than being a sinner. Serving the Savior is indescribably easier than serving Satan. There is no harsher, more brutal bondage than the yoke of self and Satan. And I don't care, once again, how free you might think you are. If you are not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to be pitied. You are to be pitied because you are enslaved to a cruel master. And you might say, Look, I am not serving Satan. I just kind of like to do things my own way. I'd rather, I think there's another way to do it. Did you know that that is the exact same attitude that made Lucifer Satan? You could say he wasn't serving Satan either. (laughs) But he said, I think there's a better way. I want to do it my own way. He was serving self. He was serving self. You know, I want you just to ponder for a moment. Look at the world today and then tell me if Jesus' words in verse 30 is true. Look at the world today. Look at the relationships. Look at the homes. Look at the marriages. Look at the the sports and movie stars. Look at, read about how they live their life. Read about how they die. Look at the end of those people who live for self. And you tell me if that's freedom. You tell me if that looks like freedom to you. And then look at life where Jesus Christ is on the throne. Where Jesus Christ is calling the shots. Once again, look at the homes. Look at the relationships. Look at the marriages. Look at the schools. Look at the businesses. Those who are serving the Lord. Those who are operating in obedience to his word. 
Look at the faces. Look at the atmospheres. Look at the attitudes. Look at the order. And tell me, tell me, what is freedom? What is freedom? And, and I say, oh, sure. I mean, living for the Lord, once again, is hard work. It doesn't come easily. And there are difficulties along the way. But the burdens that come with living for Jesus Christ are feather light compared to the crushing weight of sin and guilt. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll leave you with two verses. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Psalm 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for myself. Take Jesus at his word. Believe it. Live it out. Experience it. And you'll find there is no better place to be than sharing the, the yoke with Jesus Christ. May God bless us to that end. We'll call for a song.